Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I am so happy and grateful to have Melissa Wilson with us here today, who in 2009 started NetWorlding Publishing for thought leaders who wanted to write books that make a difference in the world. She found that she could make the biggest difference by following her Power of 10 NetWorlding process, helping 15 to 20 authors a year successfully write, publish, and launch their books. Melissa has taken her 20 years of experience in publishing to help more than 120 authors get their books written, published, and launched. Her clients have included people like the head of diversity for Hewitt, the president of Holland America Cruise Lines, the head of division of Allstate, the head of HR for the NBA, a seven-time Inc. 500 entrepreneur, the head of digital for Cisco, and thought leaders from many small and mid-sized companies around the world. Melissa's greatest passion is helping new adults get better starts in their lives and careers. Here, she mentors up to 10 college students yearly in the areas of book, publishing, and marketing. Melissa, welcome, and thank you so very much for being here. Thanks so much, Jesse. Yeah, I have to tell you, Melissa, I have had such a joy getting to know you the last several weeks and our conversations we've had, and I, I am excited to just get a little piece of what we've been sharing privately out here with everybody else right now. Thank you. I, I want to start with noticing this piece about mentoring the college students. What what draws you to that? Well, when I, I really love that question. I want to say everything. And then um, what, what's fascinating to me is when the college students come to get interned uh, and mentored, what I ask them is, what's something or one or two things that you really want to do in this case in the publishing space? And it takes them maybe, you know, 10, 15 minutes to talk through it because nobody's asked them that kind of question before. Some of them want to edit. Some of them want to, one, one young woman wanted to write a whole book and we did. And based on what they said, that's, those are the projects we did over the summer. Mm-hmm. And what I saw was that it changed things for them because somebody wasn't telling them what to do. Somebody was asking them what they wanted to do. And I, I thought it was so much fun because I said, well, why wouldn't you want to work on something that you loved working on? And because they did, I ended up having so much fun. Quick example, I had three interns one summer, uh, one girl, two guys, and I would have them because I'm in Chicago and uh, right in the downtown area. And one of the interns was very good at photography and and videography. And so I said, look, why don't you go out and interview people? Let's ask them questions like, what's your favorite book? What's the last book you read, et cetera. And they they went out and they came back like five minutes later saying, oh, everyone's so busy. They didn't want to talk to us. And I said, well, imagine if it all works out, what might that look like? And you don't have to do it if you don't want to, but my recommendation is you go out there and try once again. Well, when they didn't come back for two hours, Mm, really, really worried about them. (laughs) And and they came back and they had interviewed 20 people and 
and everything had changed for them. And, and that began a lot of fun experience for them because they were able to see that they, they had power right then to get ideas, ask questions and get really interesting answers. So that's the sort of thing that I, I enjoy most is coming up continuously with new, if you will, challenging, um, uh, intriguing opportunities for them too. And, and so anything is possible uh, is the number one learning point in networking. I had an industrial psychologist work with me on creating an assessment when I was doing my own writing, learning and, and creating and developing a methodology for better networking. And that belief, I think, is where I am with the, with the students that I mentor, that I help them shift from, I don't really know, to boy, here's what I want to do, and anything is possible. God, I love that. And I, I feel like, too, what an incredible lesson to teach to young people that no doesn't have to be a final answer. That's a good one, yes. Right, because yeah. it, I feel like so many people I talk to in virtually any and all professions and aspects of life and even in their relationships, they suffer so prolonged and so unnecessarily because they believe no means no versus next opportunity. Yes, and, and that no could be the big precursor to yes. Yes. And there are so many thought leaders who have challenged the concept of no. And one of my lines is, I can tell the sign of a successful entrepreneur by the number of times he or she can say no. Mm. Because there, there are yeses out there, 100% guaranteed. And I have found through the years with mentoring a lot of different people that if I stay steady reminding them of that, that they get to the breakthrough point. And, and that's the concept of, you know, the Michael Jordan concept. I'm going to go back and I'll be there when no one else is there, 30 minutes a day, every day I possibly can. And that made all the difference. So you're, you're going to find it out there. It's, it's, it's definitely possible. And, and I want to say one thing we're doing in publishing now, I have these blocks and all the different books for the authors that I know in reading thousands of book reviews, one thing people want in books, especially nonfiction books, especially in business books, they want to know that science supports it. Social science, hmm. um, you know, biological science, whatever chemical science, any area of science out there, they want to know that it's a fact. And I can definitely say that that's been proven. Yeah, and I think that it's so incredibly fascinating too, because when you think of the psychology of so many people, it's like our default is to go out and expect the no. And I yeah. love how you framed it for them of what would it be like if the, the, the best case scenario happened? You know, and how empowering that would be if we were to train and develop that default psychology to be an assumptive that the best case scenario can happen. What does that look like? You're right. And, and, and it really comes down to um, being, we talked before we started about being a seeker. If you, if you look for it, you will find it. 
So it's really like, where's Waldo? You're going to find the yes. You just have to know it's out there. And it's interesting that no and no, K-N-O-W and N-O-W are so, you know, you could get very confused with that. Yeah. Um, and, but I know K-N-O-W that yes is out there. The yeses are out there. And another thing that has been really provocative and I think is relevant here is the concept of leverage. So I used to do lots of talks at the University of Chicago. They named me, and I'm not patting myself on the back, they named me one of the six outstanding women of the decade. I was on their women's graduate, business graduate advisory board, mm. but I never went to the University of Chicago. Mm. And they said, that's okay. I said, I didn't go there. I said, well, if you're gonna give out awards, can I have a honorary um, doctorate? They're like, oh no, we never do that. And I said, well, how about now? <laughs> If you're going you're gonna to give me this, I'll take the doctorate. But by the way, UFC, I'm waiting. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it would be really fun. And, but, but the leverage thing is they love this, this thing that I presented that you, Archimedes, the mathematician, way, way, way back when, said, give me a lever long enough and I'll leverage the world. And it's, you know, the fulcrum and then the lever. I look at the lever as this pull stick that flips out. And those are all your combined strengths. And if you have that lever and then here's this world, I'll leverage the world, here's the world, you can leverage the entire world. And that goes back to what I was saying about the students. I wanted to know, like, like Marcus Buckingham, first discover your strengths. What are those strengths that, that can uh, connect to one another? And that's how you gain leverage. You can't gain leverage on your no's, your N-O's, because there's nothing there. It's like leveraging sand. Hmm. So you've got to have substance and you've got to have the focus and any little bit can add up, you know, to yeah. the next and the next and the next. I love that. Yeah. I talk with a lot of, of leaders and entrepreneurs, Melissa, and it amazes me on how common the thread is of almost all or nearly all of them want to write some sort of book or memoir because they have this story inside of them they want to share and they are terrified to share it. They can't allocate the time. They can't justify, you know, whatever it is in their rationale. Yes. And yet you see that thread run through humanity too, that it's like the biggest goal, but one of the biggest fears after I think public speaking and something else is writing a book. But for so many, when they finally do and they honor that story, it's inside of them. It's like they tap into this level of bliss that they haven't before because one, it shows them that they can do this thing that seems so impossibly hard. But even more than that, I think for a lot of them, it gives them, permission to be vulnerable in a way that they haven't before. And it, it's like, it allows the, the curtain to be pulled back in the full unveiling of who they really are, not who you may perceive them as being, but who they really are. This is who I am at my soul level. And I was hoping maybe you might touch on that a little bit with the work you do, because I think it is such an incredible platform you've created of giving people this opportunity to get their stories out and perhaps tap into their bliss. So, Maybe what, what does that process look like for people, but what is it, what is the bliss piece for everyone? And I really like that, 
that question again. You have a really good way of presenting questions. And that's what I do as a, a, a turnkey book creation expert. I'm, I'm like chief cook and bottle washer. It's pulling out those tidbits like we were talking beforehand and I, and because I've listened to 120 authors in the last 10 years, and I had 17 of my own books before then, I, what happens is I hear it and I go, oh yeah, that's it. That's what, that's what this author's true north is. This is the, you know, the thread that runs so true for this author. So you are, you are talking about the phenomenon of and one author just brought this up to me. He's a top um, uh, designer, uh, lives across from Central Park. And he said, I use the books I write, he's on his fourth or fifth one, to discover what I'm thinking and what, and what's coming next for me. And so that discovery is very real when we talk about the science side of it psychologically. So many of us don't realize our brains are neural networks. That's that my my area of, of networks and because they're neural networks there's so many things that either get blocked or maybe rerouted when you put them out in a book because I spent years doing writers workshops teaching people how to do outlines you start to see what you're thinking and and get to that point of bliss because you're combining my recommendation on a book now for authors is make maybe half the stories about you and half the stories about others stories sell right if you if you tell them well and and then also have the science supports so you need you need the research when i work with authors we work on finding all those pieces and pulling them out and developing the stories and i use what's called the scribe methodology after we've done the research and position the book so that the goal for you in any book is to have a book that's that's a complement to others not to be a duplicate and so it's it's pulling all that rich material out of you and you actually learn and grow our authors whether they're at whatever level in their career, they're growing to another level from the experience of the book. And I told you before we started, I'm working on this book now, I'm titling um, Brave Leaders, Terrified Authors. Because there are so many, just like Stephen Pressfield, um, love, love the author. I got to work with him with Seth Godin when Seth was reinventing publishing and in back in 2008. But Stephen Pressfield wrote The War of Art, and it's all about resistance to writing. And what I love about what I do is I handhold these authors through, it usually ends up being on average about four to five months so that they, they can get what they, they get what they need to go to the next level. And I've never seen an author that it didn't carry them forward in some way. There, mm. There's nothing like a book. And and uh, there's no question that your book is something that will change your life. I'm really curious, Melissa, with your authors. I imagine that when they go through the process and they have a certain expectation about what the outcome will be for them, what has been the, is there a thematic, like it's, it's a common 
or has it been like a big reveal for someone where there's the most surprising thing that comes out of the process for them? Something that happens or something they experience that they didn't anticipate, but that was really like a, I don't know, maybe like a bonus for them or whatnot. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so interesting because the, the, there's a big jump from writing a chapter you know, you write a blog post, writing a chapter is a big thing. Uh, writing eight to 12 chapters for a book is huge, but it's just the first draft, I always tell them. And then great writing is rewriting and editing. So they're learning about concepts, um, the, the, the concept of a book and, and they're in the book world, there's usually what publishers say is there's the big idea book and the how-to. Mm. What I'm seeing that people want is a cross between the two. So I also help the American Marketing Association bring out the first two books in their series called The Seven Problems of Marketing, and I talk them into becoming a publisher. And it was fascinating because they were professors from the Drucker School of Management out in your area in California, and what one of them, one of the professors had done is gone to 15 traditional publishers asking them, well, what would you do for us? And there was no publisher. Each one of them said, well, we can't do a book that's a mix between the two. And I was with them for about an hour and a half at the AMA, American Marketing Association, listening. And in, in the middle of that meeting, I just looked at them and I just said, what do you guys think about it? Do you think you can do both? And they said, yes. Mm. And, and so it, what's so fascinating is I like to call what we do agile publishing because I don't think that people, that the publishing world, I think it's very, just like companies, and, and a lot of companies are still this way. They're siloed. You know, they're putting boundaries around possibilities. And that's like putting a barbed wire fence around your potential. Mm. That's not going to work. I love that. Putting boundaries around possibilities. Yeah. And they, and they, they're the ones who are creating their own jail cells of potential and limiting their potential. So entrepreneurship, my line is it's where our creativity lies and it's where our hope is. And the book is such a, a key to open the door to many, many more possibilities because we still filter. We can't help ourselves. We filter um, the experts we listen to by any validation that they're experts. Did you write a book? Did you do this? Did you do that? Yeah. Well, book, book is still the highest form of content. It's amazing, too, that that is so prevalent because it goes back to what you're saying with the college students the idea of, of asking them what they want to do versus them being told what they should do yes right it's it's this thing that plays out societally through so many of our timelines of of here we're going to put a boundary around your possibility we're going to imprison your potential we're going to tell you what you should do versus asking you what do you want to do yes. and it's and it's like it's conditioning us almost from the very beginning of here's all your potential we're locking that away and we want you to do this instead. And that's why at the end, you know, when you're graduating from high school, they say we start out with a genius level of creativity. We were there at about three to four or five. Um, 
I would say if we're nurtured by, you know, by parents and, and others, but it's almost all gone by the time we graduate from high school. And, and so what's been so rewarding for me is that these college students will come in and they'll be with me for eight weeks and they'll say, and they're, they're Ivy League kids, the ones that I, I've worked with for about a decade, and they'll be going to Northwestern, the University of Chicago, wherever, and they'll say, well, I've learned more working with you in eight weeks than I have in four years. They're going on their fourth year, I should say three years. And I'll say, are you kidding me? So what's wrong with that picture when they've spent a couple hundred thousand for an education? And so it's, it's, it's not the right thing. If there's anything we want to do with our next generations, it's, it's let them soar, you know, let them go, let them fly. And Melissa means it's Greek for honeybee and it means, it means honeybee. So I'm a cross pollinator. It's like, let's go connect, let's explore, let's collaborate, let's co-create. And there shouldn't be any reason, another one I say in the spirit of entrepreneurship, which you're centered in, let's be pie makers, pie bakers instead of pie cutters or slicers. Mm. I don't want a piece of the pie, I'm gonna go bake another kind of pie. I love that, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I absolutely love that. I. It just made me flash back. I remember being such an arduous reader as a kid. And then when I got out of college, it was like the joy of reading had been zapped out of me. Mm. And it was, it was a full three years before I picked up another book and read. And then thankfully the book I picked up was one that somebody had recommended and I was in the right space of mind. And the book was the perfect book for me to read. And I remember when I picked that book up and started reading it, how pleasurable it was. And just, and I found myself, I remember one day even driving away from like my house and, and other stuff and just parking at this random park that I'd never been to before, just to read this book some more because I was so excited to read. I and sitting that. there in my seat thinking, gosh, I forgot how fun this was because so much of it had been, again, it had been like sucked out of me through education because I was being told what I should read mm-hmm. never being asked what I would like to read and inevitably so many of those things I was told to read were also you know part of the books the professor had written for the class mm-hmm. and and whatnot Melissa before I ask you my final yeah. question yes where can people find you online yes I was going to say that too I've got networking net and then world and then ing instead of networking it's networking.com is my main site and I have a bunch of free books there. I've got the how to write a business memoir, how to write a TED talk and turn it into a book. Um, uh, it's there's there are at least four different books on there. And then I'll I'll be doing the the brave authors book. Uh, that will you know be something that I'll have uh, available to people. So networlding.com and there are at least 400 blog posts to help you with writing. And then there's the readaroundtheworldnow.com. So my request back to you is you have got to fill out a submission on that one, Jesse, because okay. I love to, I, I, I actually, when I read what people write, I ask them what was the book they read when they were a kid and then what's the book they read 
um, the, that they loved when they were a kid and why. And, and then I give a link to the books for people. And then uh, what's the book you've, you've read as an adult and then that you love and then the book you love now. And okay. with pictures, it's like the humans of New York, but with books. And I find myself picking up all the books people recommend and I'm having so much fun. And eventually, um, I do want to do a podcast where people read. So I'll have to have you on reading the book that you love. And my goal is to make reading come alive. And anything that I make on that site, um, because there are some books you can link to and I, I get, um, you know, very small amount for, but everything on that site is going to help literacy for at-risk youth. And, and helping them read. Because I think if we can make that reading joyful, gosh, you know, it, it changes lives. I will, I will fill one out later today. And what you just said feeds perfectly into the last question I wanted to ask you before we wrap up. How important is giving to you, Melissa? Yes, giving to me. Um, and I told you before we started, I realized when I started thinking back on my life for whatever reason, there's this amazing show on Amazon called Being Erica. And you get to go back in time. And, they, and they, it's so much fun. You get to go back in your past and re, relive your life with regrets that happened. And, and so I just saw that, I've, this is the second time I've watched it. And there's something to be said for reading something twice or watching something twice. And what I realized when I look back at my life, if there are any regrets that I have, it's from, it would be, I should, I should have given more like Schindler, you know, but I could have done this. And I love to give so much. It's, it's really who I am, but where I've shifted the most, as I told you, was it's not about, it's not about the receiver. It's about me and the fun I'm having. And so in 60 Minutes, they had this show about this, uh, these, these cab drivers who were given, I think it's called Magellans. They were given with their taxi cabs and, and the one that they showcased, the individual, he, his, what he had invested should have been a million dollars. And it was really like a Ponzi scheme they found. And I thought, gee, if I were Bill Gates, I always say that Bill Gates could be anyone, any billionaires, because I've been working on a novel on billionaires, I would, I would give $62 million to those people in New York. And all those cab drivers that, that, that they were part of this scheme and they didn't know it. And it made me feel so good. I started every day thinking of who would I give millions to now? I, it, it, it opened up and expanded my view of how much I love giving. And so that's where I'm at now. And you can come back like two years from now and see where I put all the millions that are coming in. Yeah. And, uh, and but it's, it's so much fun. And, and I am uh, shamelessly, happily, that person who dreams about how much and where can I get. I love that. And we will definitely do a a follow-up in two years to see. I'm excited to see that. Everyone, boy, what a joy this has been to share this time with Melissa. The starting from, and it doesn't matter if you're in college or out of college, to ask yourself the question, what would you love to do? I think there is no better time than right now to start asking yourself that question and make that question part of your daily ask. The idea of 
of anticipating a yes versus anticipating the no. And not only anticipating the yes, but allowing yourself, giving yourself permission to wonder, what could that best case scenario look like for you? If you're getting ready to submit a massive proposal, if you're trying to get a, into the C-suite, if you're looking to get a film script option, whatever that might be for you. Maybe you're just trying to get a raise in your career or expand or, or ask the person out that you've had a secret crush on for a while. What could that best case scenario look like in this, and operate from that kind of assumption? I love the stories of the authors going through and being able to uncover and, and let their story be out and how that can tie into a piece of their bliss and what that looks like for them and how they begin to show up in the world and, and who, who they can become afterwards, as well as the idea of giving. What I appreciate about what Melissa just shared too in regards to giving is giving doesn't have to just be something that you're doing right now. It can also be something that you, you focus on and you meditate on in the future. The idea of allowing yourself and creating a framework to be excited about being a Bill Gates-esque kind of giver and playing that kind of space for yourself, you know, what would that look like for you? What would it look like for you if every day you meditated on how can you give more? What would it look like for you if you imagine that the wealth that you can bring into your life in the future will not just be wealth that goes into lining your bank account, but be wealth to go out and to distribute out to others to make the overall world a better place? What a fun game that would be. How much, how much of an extraordinary space would that be operate in? I think what Melissa really, so much of what she boiled down to today and she shared with us is about how important it is to dream. How important it is to dream, how important it is to give yourself permission to expand on the possibilities, to not put your possibilities in barriers and not imprison your possibilities, but to really give them an open field of opportunity, to nurture them, to water them, to share them, and to expand on them, to not allow your talent to be locked down by limitations, but instead to just allow it to continue to expand and flourish. Each of you watching, each of you listening has magic inside of you, whether it's a story to share in a book, whether it's something more to offer the world vocationally, relationally, and just being the best version of who you are and who you can be tomorrow. What would it look like for you if the barriers were taken down on your possibilities? What would it look like for you if you unshackled yourself from the perception of limitations and instead allowed the best version of you to be set free onto the world? Gosh, what could the world like for, look like for all of us? I, I don't know about you, but that's definitely a world that I'm excited to live in and be a part in. Melissa, this has been absolutely incredible. Thank you so very much for being here and sharing your absolute magic with us. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. We will see you next time, everyone, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to